Warning, this episode contains adult language and content. Sham Fiction, Video Game Edition. the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Eric Carlson. Welcome to episode two of Sham Fiction's Indie Game Spectacular. A, uh, a, yeah, there you go. A special <laughs> where we are spending three Three episodes exploring the world of independent video games. Do you even call them video games anymore? It seems outmoded. I don't know why. It's like calling them computer games. Or just like colloquially referring to all of them as Nintendo. Can we still call video games video games? I call them Segas. (laughs) (laughs) You get out. What is wrong with you? Just playing Sega. Uh, You take your Sonic the Hedgehog... And shove it. Never mind. Uh, (laughs) Visuals. Uh, I felt that one. Sorry. Shadow the Hedgehog, because I'm edgy. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to be Knuckles, (laughs) because... I don't know know why you're called Knuckles. We can can fill in the gaps. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Wait, but, but before we get too far into it, let me introduce myself. I'm uh I'm I'm your I'm your player number one. You're you're ready player one, Eric uh <laughs> Jazzy Carlson. <laughs> I'm combining my references. I don't know where I'm going. Joining me today, you may have heard their beautiful voices already. We have uh we have uh plum- plumber number one, uh we got Mario over here. That's Andrew Neal, Andrew Mario Neal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a media. <laughs> That's good. And his uh, his inferior brother, Marcus Luigi Man. <laughs> what da, da, da. <laughs> was what was that? That was Luigi being scared about something. <laughs> that was a Luigi. I don't oh, know. You just lost ten I, points because I never play as Luigi. Who plays as Luigi? What I don't know what a Luigi sounds like. Marcus, let me, try, let me try again. I, I, I know for a fact mm-hmm. that you are a younger brother. I think you know exactly what playing as Luigi sounds like. Joke's on you. My older brother hated games. It's <laughs> <laughs> sad, sad story. Also, Eric, there are so many other characters one can play as versus Luigi if someone takes Mario. Yeah, what if this In is fact, Mario 2? <laughs> well, you know, I could argue about Mario sounds all day. But we gotta we get (laughs) (laughs) But we got a show to make. So let's let's talk about it, shall we? Let's talk about it. Shukata 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 shuk That was Princess Peach. (laughs) 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 Alright, you just you got those ten points back. Well, I hope this doesn't come up again in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
anyway, this week, this episode, we are going to be covering a fantastic little game that I just played called What Remains of Edith Finch. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I hope we get an answer to that question. No, we, I, you might have to give me the answer. We will see. Oh, ooh. interesting, interesting. But this is a game uh, developed by a little little indie studio called Giant Sparrow, published by <gasps> Annapurna Interactive. Giant Sparrow is uh, the team behind, you may have heard, I think is the, was it the Unfinished Swan is the name of the mm. game. Made a lot of splashes in the indie community a few years back. Yeah, I heard about that. Pun? Yeah, yeah they splashes? followed it up. Uh, yeah, they followed it up with uh, this game. Nice. And uh, it's had a lot of uh, critical success. People seem to dig it. Um, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, please. Did you say Annapurna Interactive? Yes, I did. Is this related to the film production company, Annapurna? Do you have that in front of you? I have no idea yeah that's actually. a that's a film production company as well but the and the name of a film production company sure. i i have a feeling there's a good chance that it's not okay related just because annapurna as i have just googled is also just the name of a mountain range in nepal yeah. so possibly all right a easily uh usable name but there's you know a, what there's a we'll nepalese uh restaurant here in seattle called annapurna is this related to that is it It is developed by the restaurant in seattle yes there is a video game development company back they share the same space as the kitchen it's making great games and then eating some illegal operation and the the restaurant is just a front do not eat there they do not know what they're doing i'm kidding it's probably great eat at annapurna in seattle please i don't want to be sued by a small restaurant in seattle (laughs) seattle who are definitely listeners Oh, who isn't? Big fans. These days. Yep. Anyway, uh, this is a game written and directed by a fella named Ian Dallas. Ooh. And it is definitely written. We will get into the details there. <laughs> this uh, this game was released uh, on a couple of platforms, uh, like PC and PS4 in April 2017, and uh, on Xbox One in July 2017, which is, which is where I played it. I played it on the Xbox. On that Xbox. Like That's what Xboxes. I'll play it on, too, eventually. I wish I could tell you how much I paid for this game, uh, but I do not remember. It's and, an indie uh, game, so it's less than normal change. games. Exactly. It was probably like 20 bucks, because uh, that tends to be how it goes. If it's more than 20, I am so sorry, but I assure you, it is worth it at any price. Ooh. Oh, my yep. goodness. I, I gotta really, ask you. really enjoyed it gotta ask you a question mr carlson you're not uh, uh, a big video gamer uh, eh. outside of the the minecraft and the skyrims oh, that's, that's true yeah uh, no, what, i like what i like you big, one? i like big open world sandbox kind of games uh but this one uh got my attention because it's 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 very much a storytelling game and it seemed really creepy and unique there are some elements I think you will you will see why I was turned on by this game. Mm. Um, but this one I found uh, just just I was googling like good you know indie games like highly rated indie games and this is on the top or near the top of a lot of uh, recent lists. Nice. Cool. So saw that one the uh, the the story uh, called to me and I and I picked it up and I'm glad I did. Good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was tempting to go with Goat Simulator, 
<laughs> but <laughs> but this one had a little bit more meat. <laughs> no, Indy, no. Indy, quiet. <laughs> Sorry. Our, Jack uh, intended on the, the meat segue. We also have a goat Indiana. Yeah, also named Indiana. To Jacket's office. What's he called mm-hmm. the goat Indiana? Uh, very different. Uh, anyway, um, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack here. And if you are all ready, I'd say we should just get into this thing, huh? Well, be- before we hop in, can you tell yeah. us what kind of game it is? I guess. Um, so it is like a first-person exploration game. Okay. Um, it's, so it's a 3D. It is a 3D. It's got it's got multiple dimensions. But it's um, not a VR. It's not a VR. Uh, no. So uh, what else can I say about this? I I, I think it might be kind of a uh, kind of a mystery game. Okay. Like a Nancy um, Drew. It's, it's got elements uh, of that, but uh, I think you know I'll, I'll kind of lay in how the gameplay works and 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 what you're really doing as I give the pitch. Sounds fantastic. So, so I'm gonna get to it. I, I just want to point out, like Nancy yeah. Drew, uh, that's your point what? of reference for mysteries. <laughs> for mysteries, I will have you know, someone very dear to me in my life has been playing all of the Nancy Drew games since they <laughs> came out, and is very upset that the most recent one has been delayed for over a year. Uh, <laughs> that's great. So, okay, are there Nancy, there are Nancy Drew games. Uh, there are many, many Nancy Drew games. Really? And some of them are spooky, apparently. Spooky Nancy Drew games. Okay. But the the most recent one's been delayed. So This this was a delightful, strange tangent. I thank you for accommodating it. Shout out to BL, who introduced Uh, me to Nancy Drew games. (laughs) So can we we please, can we please get onto the pitch for What Remains of Edith Finch? Such a rush. I (laughs) want to talk about this, and not Nancy Drew. (laughs) Neither does Indy. Dog in does. <laughs> oh, fine. Whatever. Somebody, somebody. Gravel man, settle this tie. Uh, I want to hear about, about, I did fetch. See, see, he's on, he's on my side. Uh, okay, all right. that's fine. We'll get started here. I'll defer to Gravel Man. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's jam. All right. What remains of Edith Finch is a lush atmospheric interactive story i it's hard to even call a video game sometimes because you are physically uh exploring a a a a touching little story you take on the role of edith finch who is a, a young woman 17 years old who returns to her family's abandoned home in the Pacific Northwest. This is our second uh, episode in a row featuring the Pacific Northwest. PN dubs. Uh, and she returns there to rediscover her long, eclectic, and often bloody <gasps> family tree. Oh boy. Ooh. Though don't don't uh, don't think that this is like scary game creepy. It, it is. There's a lot of dark elements in this game, but it's not necessarily like scary or gothic or haunting or anything. It's just it's it's very atmospheric. As I said, it's touching and sad more than anything, um, and sometimes funny and lots of dark humor. It's it's great. Uh, so she returns to try to find these stories about her family, the Finch family, going back generations, because she is, in fact, you are, in fact, as Edith, pregnant. Ooh. 
Hmm. And, uh, and you're coming back to compile these stories, uh, put it in a journal form or memoir form for your future child. Okay. So this story is told through voiceover narration, uh, which is often it's triggered when you interact with specific items. You kind of get the backstory about those items you, or you enter specific rooms, specific parts of the room. You get, uh, more of that story. Um, and it's, it's Edith's voice for the most part, um, basically reading what she is writing in this journal and like the words, uh, like the physical words appear on like walls and floating in the air and stuff. So there's like this voice, but then you're also able to physically see these words that are being written out. It's really, really cool. Hmm. Uh, effective method of storytelling. Um, so it, this story uh, very naturally breaks down into short stories um, in a nice way, which is why at the end of this, your assignment from me is to write one of these stories found in the game. Oh. So, so, so here's the deal. The Finches, this family, they are America's most unfortunate family. And their home... <laughs> is a like a sprawling monument to its dead members. Oh. So so each generation they they'll have multiple kids but only one of those child children one of those child one of them child will will survive to pass on the Finch name. So in half the rooms in the house they're like they're all sealed up and like preserved in the state that they existed when the when the people lived in them. Mm. So if you manage to get into one of these rooms or just peep through the peephole in the rooms, you will see everything laid out as it was untouched, frozen in time. Um, and as you get into these rooms through secret passageways and tunnels, you start to see these stories. Each of these rooms features like a portrait of the deceased person. And like, there's maybe like a journal on the table that'll kind of give you the background um, and the game basically lets you interact with this history. You actually go into this, uh, the dead family member's point of view and lets you, uh, interact in some way. And it's always different. Every single story that you're in, that you're, uh, partaking in is told in a different way. Um, so, oh. so this room, you know, this house has four been here. Four minutes remaining. Ooh four minutes remaining has been here since the 30s so there are rooms from the 40s the 50s 60s 70s 80s um all the way up through the 2010s um and uh and uh it's it, the funny thing about the house is that because they're sealing up these rooms no subsequent generations are reusing the rooms so they are actually building onto the house and building up and creating this towering rickety looking weasley-ish burrow-esque <laughs> structure in the middle of the woods in the the in coastal washington state that's awesome yeah um a couple just details so the finches came to the to america in the 30s with odin his daughter edie son-in-law sven and sven and edie's daughter molly um they actually brought their old house with them from the old country which i think is scandinavia somewhere but the house sank just outside their final landing point so there's this old wreck of a house half submerged in the bay um outside where they eventually <laughs> built this new house which is which is kind of cool and uh and like i said lots of dead children in this story tragic deaths 
or or children going missing or even uh people uh living into adulthood and still dying in tragic ways Hmm. um yeah like for example there's a kid named calvin who dies when he goes full 360 on a swing set and flings himself over the cliff (laughs) uh the gregory is a baby when he dies and he dies because he uh because he drowned in the bathtub um and like in that story you take on the role of like his little bath toys who are swimming around little froggies swimming and bouncing and hopping around and through the actions what you're doing in the game you turn on the water and so it starts filling up the tub until it gets to a point where we can imagine that the baby (laughs) died uh, most of these stories aren't really told in a way that is 100% two minutes uh, 100% realistic um, it's there's a there's an element of fantasy in a lot of them uh, it's very lyrical um, and although when you're playing the actions in the games in these in these mini stories you kind of get a hint of what would have really killed them but like the the baby in the tub it's like this happy you know celebration and all the toys are coming to life and more and more water and it's more and more fun but the baby's dead uh jeez yeah that that's um so they're mostly kind of darkly humorous yeah in a lot of ways um there's a a, the first story you see um i'll kind of get into a little detail with this one um uh, molly is sent to bed without supper and because she's hungry she starts eating everything she eats the gerbil food she eats a a tube of toothpaste she eats holly berries on a christmas ornament uh which is not a good thing to do and then after that she like transforms into a cat remaining transforms into a cat (laughs) eats a bird transforms into a uh, owl and eats rabbits and goes on becoming different creatures until she finally becomes a sea monster and comes back into her own room and eats herself (laughs) so she definitely didn't get eaten by a monster. She probably died because she ate these holly berries and hallucinated the whole thing before dying. You know, you get that hint. Yeah. But you get to play as these creatures in this particular game. And it's all... Uh, there are words everywhere. Like this... Uh, that story, Molly, it's her... It's Molly, little girl voice, uh, giving the narration in that point where she's writing down all these things that are happening to her in her own journal before she died. <laughs> you know? So lots of different methods for storytelling, uh, a lot of different directions you can go with this. But your job is to create one of these little stories that Edith Finch is finding in this sprawling house. Generations of the Finch family. There it is. The end. Ooh, that's a good assignment. That's a Uh, really good assignment. I'm very excited. I hope so. I I felt a little rushed. I hope I got to everything important. Because there's a lot going on here, but at its heart, it's a very simple, sweet little story. Yeah. Very sweet, I, you know, with babies dying. Very sweet. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty interested. <laughs> like, I feel like this is a game I have to play now. Well, you know what? You can start by asking me some questions if hey. anything didn't make sense. So we'll do two minutes each for both of yous. Uh, right. And I think this time I am going to start with Andrew Neal. Hey. You are up first to ask two minutes worth of questions. So okay. that makes uh, Marcus, sense. Fighting Andrew Marcus, Neil. I'll get out of you're, here. You're gonna go. You're gonna you're gonna hide. You're gonna put your hands over your ears, earmuffs. I'm just gonna wall. leave. I'm oh. gonna go. I've got this locked out room in my apartment. I've been meaning to open and investigate for a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna spend two minutes in there and All figure right. out what happened to my ancestors. Well, I hope we see you again. Andrew, are you ready? Yes, I am. 
All right, fantastic. Two-minute Q&A, begin. So, is this like a ritualistic sort of killing? Like, did the, just, did the Finch family just straight up kill people? Uh, no. No, it's all accidents. It's all uh, terrible, terrible, unfortunate events. Okay, and Edith, how old is she again? She's in her... She's 17. She's 17 and she's pregnant. Okay, is yep. she living in this house? or is No, this... yeah, good point. I, I should have mentioned this. So she's been gone since 11. Like, she was whisked away from the house by her mother, and this is the first time she's been back to this empty house since. Okay, so her mom married into the family and... Uh, no, actually. She okay. is a finch. Okay, okay, but she tried to get her away from yep. all the bad stuff. Yep, it's, in fact, she was the one who sealed up all the rooms to try to protect her family from this horrible past. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, this is a really hard one to ask questions about. Um, mm-hmm. A lot going on. What is one of your... Oh, man, I don't know if I want to get too many details, but, like, what is one of your other favorite stories from this? Sure. So there's a character named Barbara who was a actually a film star in, like, the, the 60s the, or maybe 50s. Um, but in the 60s, when she's a teenager, after she's done being a child star, um, there's this comic book. 30 seconds remaining. 30 seconds. Uh, and it's like a Tales from the Crypt style comic book where you open it up and you're part of this comic book where a bunch of movie monsters break into her, the house and murder her. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is really cool. And you get the hint that actually it might have been that she was killed by her boyfriend. Um, we oh. don't know. Again, kind of like the Molly story. We don't know the truth. But that yeah. was very fun. Stylistically cool. Yeah. Yeah. And all these things are very stylistically different from one another. Like they completely very switch much. it up. Okay. All the gameplay is different. Wow. Ooh. Time's up. Man, so it's like a bunch of little games in one. That's cool. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you think uh, think that'll help a little bit? Yeah, we'll see. I think the, the initial pitch was, was like, it's so open-ended that I feel like I can do, you know, pretty much everything or anything. Um, but Just, this, just yeah. as long as you choose a family member and you tell me how that person dies. That's yeah. all I care about. Yeah, that's... That sounds good. Um, I will, uh, I'll mosey on out of here and let, uh, Mr. Man ask his questions. Thank you. Hey, I'm back. Hey, buddy. Turns out my great uncle was Mm -hmm. in World War II. Yeah, tell me more. And he said, take my old childhood bedroom. This was when he was dying in in the trench. Okay, Uh, makes sense. It's very sad. He said, to his his buddy Philip, uh, Lieutenant Philip, I think it was. I don't I don't think he ever made sergeant. Uh, he said, Philip, <laughs> take my old childhood bedroom and move it into a very new development in Seattle in twenty seventeen. Lock it off. That's how we do things. And then uh, someone in my family will find it. And Philip said, "What well, was this like? Like your son or your daughter or wife?" It's no no great great nephew uh will probably be the one that's i mean that's why we're choosing this location i have got a feeling you know as i'm dying some things have become clear to me so just move it lock it up and make sure like encourage for him to rent that particular unit because it needs to be accessible to him yep uh so then I, I went in there, and there was this nice note from philip just yep. explaining all that like how uh-huh. architecturally he was able to get that there 
and you know what happened and there were there were notes uh notes to philip from my my great uncle because mm-hmm. he didn't die immediately yep. uh he, he could have lived but he he spent all his time in the hospital instead of trying to get better <laughs> sending notes to philip with the instructions <laughs> for this house yeah uh, to, to get that room out and to move it into okay. this development Yes. And then that's eventually what killed him. And I think I was a squid monster for a little bit when I was in the room. So that's what happened to me over those last two minutes. And our two minutes are up. All right. <laughs> Enjoy writing. Uh, we'll see you all after the break. Oh, no. Da, 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 da. Uh, you know, I'm just imagining your great uncle just dying in the trench, bleeding from the gut wound and just rambling yeah. like this. This is great. I, his, I like this His name this was scene. Gertrude, but we don't have time to explain why. <laughs> Um, okay great uncle Gertrude man <laughs> so let's do the, the, the q and I'm very curious uh, I mean if you want to I guess let's okay let's okay lady let's do this two minute Q&A begin alright so who is Edith Finch she's uh she's a 17 year old girl so wh- wh- uh, and she's she, pregnant where's she from do we know who is the uh, father of the child uh, she is a Finch, so uh, you know she's from this house. So she grew up in this house, but grew you said she was house. coming back to this house. Coming back to this house. So where's she been? Uh, she's been with her. I, I will. There's some of this I covered with Andrew, but I will say she's been with her mother, okay. who has and you sh- and I did not tell Andrew this, who has recently died and left Edith a key, and she did, which didn't say what the key's for. Okay, there's a yep. mysterious key. There's a mystery. And do we do we know anything about the father? Uh, father is a man named Sanjay that we never see. Her that's Edith's father, not the that's, father of Edith's child. Yes. Oh wait, the that's Edith's father. Yeah, we don't know anything about the father of Edith's child. Okay. Uh, Does not factor in. And as she goes into these rooms, how is she experiencing these? Is she just getting clues like I did with uh, Grand Uncle? Gertrude's uh, place? Or? Uh, it, it's kind of a combo. So there are some clues scattered throughout, like little bits of information that she gleans off of the things in the room, but it's always like a main event. There's something that she interacts with that brings on this full story. So uh, she could pick up a journal and, you know, start reading it and suddenly we're in this story. Uh, she 30 could seconds pick up remaining. Some 30 seconds. She could pick up some photographs okay. and suddenly she's transported into the photographs. You know, it, it's, it so takes a lot of forms. It seems very metaphorical. Are there any actual magical or mystical elements in this? No, none at all. Okay, so it's all just kind of the stories in her head that she pulls yep. out of this. Yep, kind of meta-reality in these stories. Awesome. I am really excited for this one. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear what you got. Time's yeah. up. There it is. All right, that's time. I mean, uh, okay. Well, I'm fantastic. Gonna, I'm going to do this. Yeah, it's I mean, be great. You already told me the the Philip and Gertrude story, so I hope to hear something different. Well, that's a real story, so I want to oh. put that into a sham fiction. Oh, that's literally oh. what I did during the two okay. minutes of Andrew's Q and A. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay, I'm sticking yeah. to that. Uh huh. And have uh, something new after well, the break that's great you go right uh i gotta go i gotta go feed indiana uh the goat not the dog oh god why are you feeding the, the dog the the dog had uh, look i'm not gonna explain the the subtleties of goat husbandry to you marcus man oh. just get out of here go write your story 
and I will see you and all of our fine listeners after the break. Hey gang, it's the break, which means I have the opportunity to thank you all for everything you do, for listening, for subscribing, and for rating the show on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. If you haven't given us five stars yet or written us a wonderful, uh, glowing review, well, there's still time. Head on over there, you know, to the podcast app and iTunes, all that jazz. Anyway, those ratings help new listeners find the show, so please do it. I also wanted to let you know that Sham Fiction has a beautiful new redesigned website. It's shamfiction.com, and it's the best place to find info about us, the hosts, about the show itself, and to give us money so that we can keep making the show. So please check it out, shamfiction.com. That's all there is to it. Let's get back to the show. Ready Player One, Ready Player Two, begin. Hey guys, you back? I'm you back. Ready? I got a I'm sack back. full of quarters. That's I can fantastic. Go all night, baby. That's all you need. Oh, baby. It's the simple things in life. Just need a sack full of quarters and a pocket full of sand. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's how the saying goes in the old country. Yep. That's that's my everyday carry, ladies and gentlemen. Sack full of quarters. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. Now it's people often you're... ask you, why don't you just take the sand out of your pocket and fill it with quarters? <laughs> but I need the pocket sand. What if I get in a fight on the street? Okay, I was actually thinking that you put the sand in the bag rather than the quarters. So switch the quarters what and the sand out. What am I, Indiana Jones? That's exactly where I was going. Yeah, <laughs> you tell. never know when you need a bag of sand to weigh down an ancient pedestal so you can steal an ancient artifact. Ain't it the truth? Do you ever think that he must have been way off with the amount of sand in the bag? Because, like, how Just way off. How accurate is that going to be that a little it's, handful it's, is going to make the half- difference? It's a well. He first of all, he had a, a bag, a sack with yeah. sand in it. He looked at this solid gold object <laughs> and was like, eh, "It's too much, too much in the bag." And he let some out, which is silly because it's like you need like five more bags of sand, guy. Hey, don't we think we can trust Indy when he's weighing things? The guy, he's you know, he has the sand in one hand, he's clearly got the gold thing we in can't. The other. But here's the thing: when he puts the sand down, it doesn't work. You know, as we all know, it doesn't yeah. work. It starts sinking. It does. That implies that it was too heavy, right? No, I think it just implies that I think you it's can't, too light. You can't. So oh, man. it made it sink. But maybe what is there like? Is what? What's the mechanism? I How think does it's that like work? it's got like a spring. It's in an equilibrium uh-huh. with the weight. Yeah. So if you have the right weight, uh-huh. it stays good. Yeah. If not, it triggers something else that causes it to sink. You know what? We're, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree, and we'll have to pick it up on the next episode of Sham Fiction. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> have See a good you in two weeks. Oh, wait, Keep no. Keep a pocket wait, full no. of sand and a sack full we're, of quarters. We're here to talk about what remains of Edith Finch. I almost forgot. <laughs> I forgot where the sand came from. <laughs> oh, boy. That explains it? That's what remains. Uh-huh. Oh, that's that would be sad. It's a very Thanos situation Ooh, at the end of this game that. let's Spoiler move alert. along so andrew what marcus hey. yeah did you two write your versions 
of what remains of Edith Finch? Uh, I actually wrote what doesn't remain of her. I wrote everything else a but strong, her. strong stylistic I, choice. I, I, I mixed it up. That's okay. You know, you can still convince me. You're not automatically lost, but you know, it's 50, 50 points down. I'm actually pretty embarrassed. I didn't intend for this. <laughs> I swear this never happens. Yeah, I did write it. Oh, fantastic! See, and Marcus just give d- it to not him. Not a guaranteed win. Give it but to you him. You know what? He is up on you at this point. Yeah. So uh, my question is: Who goes first? Who is who is Mario and who no, who's is on second? Luigi. That's what I want to know. Did you just say Wiggy? Yeah, Mario and Luigi. Oh, Luigi. Okay, yeah. got it. Yep. Those iconic. What about um, Princess Peach? Shukata, shukata, shukata. I was bringing that back. I still, still don't know. <laughs> this is just me, or is that not how she sounds? Um, <laughs> it's the sound that when her dress shakes. Yeah, That's what the sound it makes. A very deep voiced man. Shukata, 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 shukata. Just very gravel man voice. All right, moving right along. Let's listen to some stories. I don't know who goes first. I'm going to say that Andrew, Me? you will be Luigi, which means Marcus <laughs> oh, thank goodness. gets to be Mario. Good, I didn't want to go despite first. Despite that terrible Princess Peach sound effect, which is probably totally accurate. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Take so, it away. Someday we'll have to do an amp v amp. We just both read at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> is that even possible? Yes. Actually, yes. All right, guys. I am ready to tell you what remains of Edith Finch. I want to know. Spoilers. Edith Finch is not in the story. Oh, All no. right. Oh, <laughs> that's a big time spoiler. So I guess he did write what doesn't remain. Uh-huh. False. Both wrote Finch. the same story word for word. On with it. All right. Here we go, guys. What remains of Edith Finch by Marcus Mann. Millicent Finch had decided she was well and done with the whole planet Earth by the time she was six years old. Her brother Harold was a stink brand, and her parents never paid her any attention, even on the rainiest of days. She was left with no choice but to leave and go live on the moon, or a particularly fashionable star instead. The only problem was no one seemed to know how to get up there, or if they did know, they weren't telling her because they were stupid adults. They kept her in her room while Harold got to run around outside just because sometimes she couldn't run as well or even walk. They told her it would be better because she needed to rest as much as she could. They were wrong. Millicent didn't need to rest. She needed to dream, and she could could do that just as well with her eyes open. They would know that if they listened. She figured once she was on the moon, she would be able to make her own rules and run around outside as much as she wanted to. Harold had once told her the moon was made of cheese, and if you tried to run on it, you'd get trapped like quicksand and have to eat your way out or you would sink forever. Millicent didn't believe him. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> he may have been eight, but he was still a silly boy. When she couldn't go out and see the world, Millicent made worlds of her own. Her parents may be cruel, but even they weren't such monsters as to deny her crayons and lots of paper. She would sit at the window and draw the things that she saw. Not as they were, but as they should be. She saw the world as a comic strip in the paper. It was her job to draw the next picture, the one that made everyone smile. (laughs) On days when her legs had strength, she would stand on her tiptoes, and she could just make out the shape of the old house in the bay. It had sunk when her great-grandfather brought the finches to America. But broken things didn't always stay broken forever. That was one thing her parents told her that she believed. She imagined that one day the ship would feel better, 
and the rains would carry it back to the surface, and as the world flooded, the old house would come to her window and Millicent could ride it away. Those were some of her favorite drawings. Sometimes, when she wasn't feeling very nice, Harold wasn't in the boat when the flood came. It was easy to picture a flood, for the same reason it was hard to picture the stars. It was always raining. The clouds made it impossible to see the possibilities that existed in the sky just above her. Every night that she could, Millicent would pull herself up to her window and hope to see a glimpse of the moon or her favorite constellation. Most nights it was only gray. The nights that she couldn't pull herself to the window were worse. She would lie in her bed with her eyes held as tightly closed as she could. The thought of her opening them and seeing moonlight on her floor from a clear sky she wouldn't be able to see was too much to bear. She kept calm by knowing that someday she would get to live among the stars, like in her drawings, and she would be able to look down on the clouds and laugh at them for thinking they could keep her from where she was meant to be. Her room never felt smaller than the day the doctor came to visit it. He'd come to visit before, but she had always been able to meet him in the parlor. This time was different. She hadn't been able to stand in days. Her parents had hung up her drawings all around the room, covering the wooden boards and fantasies that had all involved her legs paying attention to what she asked. After a few tests, the doctor smiled at Millicent and said he liked her drawings. The smile disappeared when he turned to Mama and Papa and told them they needed to talk outside. Everyone was nicer to Millicent after that day. They gave her a chair with wheels on it, so even on the bad day she could get around. Harold stopped teasing her. As a result, he made it into the ship house and most of her drawings. But he was never out in the stars. That was just for her. She greedily devoured the days where the clouds would part and sketched every one that she could see. It was hard sometimes to hold the crayon, but she drew what she could when she could. The moon was the biggest, but she loved the ideas of the stars that had their own light. They glowed as brightly as she knew she would if she could only get free. In the peak of winter, Millicent turned seven. More days than not, she had trouble moving. She hadn't been drawing as much, and had all but lost hope of seeing the stars up close. She even told her papa about her plans as she cried in her bed. The next day, she received the greatest present she could have imagined. Harold brought it up to her with tears in his eyes. He was probably sad because he didn't get to keep it for himself. It was a long, bronze tube with magnifying glasses on either end, like a detective would use. Her papa called it a telescope. He explained to her that on a clear night, it would let her see the stars up close, like she was right there with them. He set it up next to the window, pointed at where the stars would be, if the clouds didn't insist on ruining her fun. It would be days before the sky would be clear enough to let her use it, but she looked at it each night before she went to bed, and knowing that it was there brought her comfort. She also noticed something funny about the telescope. Even on a cloudy day, there was often a circle of light shining on the floor from the eyepiece. When she caught it in her hand, Millicent found it warm to the touch. She figured it might be friends out in the stars looking back at her, so she made sure to lay out all her drawing papers on the ground where they could see. <laughs> Finally, after days of waiting, there was a perfect, clear night. Even better, she was strong enough to pull herself over to the window. When she looked into the telescope, she saw the stars like she had never seen them before. They were brilliant and bright and within moments blurry from the tears. Wiping her eyes, she knew she would have to pace herself because there was so much to see. She thought about calling for Harold because she knew immediately this was too beautiful to keep to herself. But she figured he would be asleep. She could share it with him next time. 
Millicent was done sleeping. She stayed awake all through the night, taking in these wonders. It was clear the moon wasn't made of cheese. <laughs> Close, it looked like the rocks down by the shore, cool and gray and beautiful. She was certain she would make a good queen for it. She just needed to find a way to get up there. After hours of watching, her eyes couldn't stay awake anymore, even with their queen's orders. She barely made it back to her bed before sleep took her. Her dreams were the happiest she'd had in months. She imagined her friends from the stars came down to visit her and take her away with them. They would go up beyond the earth to a place where she wouldn't need legs or doctors or anyone. It was a lovely dream. And when she woke, it was a reality. The light was too bright for even her eyelids to keep it out. The stars had begun to fill her whole room with a staggering heat. It appeared to have started with the drawings that she had laid on the floor, which had already been consumed by their love. Millicent tried to call out to her family to see, but her lungs were filled with dark clouds. She was too exhausted from the night before to stand. As the starlight blazed around her, she realized she was finally going home. Millicent closed her eyes one last time and dreamed. Oh, <laughs> that... Mm. That's certainly a story. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, you see, you did good. Uh, and now we will turn to uh, Luigi, player number two. Wow. That's <laughs> approximately what a Luigi sounds like. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh does that mean that you're ready to go, Andrew? I think so. Fantastic! Why don't you uh, Why don't you regale us? Take us away. Here, one second. I have to emotionally compose myself after the story that I just read. I'm wipe not, I'm, wipe I'm, those tears. Ugh, one second. It was just a fun Ooh. story about a girl beating her star friends. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> nope. I'm I'm good. I can do this. I can do this. Ooh, all right. I this is in you. this is uh, Andrew Neal's uh, sham take on what doesn't remain of Edith Finch. (laughs) I reach the fifth landing. Up here, I can feel the house sway in the wind. I'm standing before the door to a bedroom, which bears a plaque with a name, date of birth, date of death, and epitaph, just like all the rest, like a tombstone. Agnes Edwina Finch, born October 2nd, 1973, Died May 18th, 1994. All in all is all we are. I would have called you Auntie Egg, I think, sensing wetness in my eyes. As I've ascended the house, the dates have grown more and more recent, and the lives reach closer to my own. This one's almost close enough to touch. Agnes was Mom's younger sister, and yet her life is as strange to me as the rest. Mom just doesn't talk about the family. Maybe she thinks she'll forget them eventually. I open the bedroom door. I'm suddenly surrounded by faces. Posters, dozens of them, cover all four walls, floor to ceiling, with hardly a gap between. All are for bands. Soundgarden, Sonic Youth, Pearl Jam, Pixies, and most of all, Nirvana. The other bands get a poster. Nirvana gets a wall. A pang of guilt strikes me. I've heard of most of these bands, but I realize I couldn't name a single song by any of them. I find a large box in the corner with dust on top. 
On the side, thick black letters written in Sharpie read, Egg Stuff. Egg is spelled (laughs) E-G-G. I open the box. Inside, there are Polaroid pictures, notebooks filled with journal entries, napkins and scraps of paper with random song lyrics, even some cassette tapes. With the assistance of these items, I spend the afternoon in Egg's life. Egg was my age when she left home. Seventeen. That sounds scary, to me anyway, but in Egg's journal, she seems very excited. All she had with her was a change of clothes and her dad's, my grandfather's, acoustic guitar, which she took without asking. She went to Seattle to be near the music she loved and far away from the doom of a cursed family. Still, Egg was a finch. Wherever she ran, she took that with her. Upon arriving in Seattle, Egg found a place to squat and lied about her age to land a job in a coffee house slash bar slash music club thing. It changed depending on the time of day. It was called the Nonstop Shop. Her starting pay was below minimum wage, and she soon took a pay cut in exchange for stage time. There are a few photos of Egg's early shows. Early as in her career and the time of day. She didn't get great bookings right away. (laughs) I find song lyrics in notebooks dated around this time, but unfortunately no recordings of them. I really wish I could hear Beast Infection and Miranda is a bitch, parentheses, and she knows it, in all their glory. (laughs) Then Egg moved into a garden-level apartment with a couple of fellow squatters, and shortly thereafter, death appeared in her life. Egg recounts death's first visit in her journal. When Egg recounts Death's first visit in her journal, her handwriting grows shaky. She describes Death as an ebony goddess with a fro of black lightning. Her eyes glow a true, soul-piercing yellow. Even when turned away, you feel them watching. Death Death said she was there to claim Egg, as as she claimed one finch every generation. Egg protested this vehemently, and asked if there was anything she could do to avoid her fate. Death considered this, and then demanded songs as an offering. Egg had to write and perform great songs to satisfy Death and continue living. Of course, Egg agreed. She began writing constantly, even when she was on the clock at work. She slept very little, choosing to write at night while her roommates slept and practiced guitar during the day. It seemed to pay off because the non-stop booked her as a house artist, giving her regular stage time, and not at two in the afternoon. She booked a few other gigs elsewhere, too. Somewhere in here, she was discovered by Stella Heckerling and Stacy Cameron, a bass player and drummer, respectively. They had recently, and simultaneously, ditched their previous band, which they had formed with their now ex-boyfriends. Egg got drunk with them after a performance one night, and eventually word-vomited a collection of unfortunate Finch family stories before actually vomiting. (laughs) Stella and Stacy were in awe. Here was a girl far more freaked out and pissed off at the world than themselves. They had to form a band. Egg was hesitant at first. She was just starting to grow comfortable as a songwriter and a performer. Death intervened. She came to Egg in an alley late one night. Egg didn't recall how she got there. She just remembered yellow eyes cutting through the dark. Death was growing tired of Egg's work. It wasn't enough. If Egg didn't improve, Death would take her. 
To make this transaction more convenient, Death gave Egg keys to her dimension. That way, Egg could visit Death regularly to be judged. Egg accepted. And thus, Egg and the Dead Birds was born. <laughs> now in a rock band, Egg spent the little money she'd saved on a used Fender Stratocaster and a bunch of janky equipment. She, Stella, and Stacy began practicing regularly, and they clicked early on. Egg soon dismissed her hesitation about joining the band and threw herself into songwriting with somehow even more passion than before. There are demo recordings from this period, though the recording quality is pretty terrible. Still, when I pop the cassette tape into the player in Egg's room and start listening, my ears soon adjust and I hear Egg's voice growling and howling. The audio quality doesn't matter. There's Egg, right there, captured on tape. Things went well for the band quickly. They moved beyond coffee houses and bars and whatever the nonstop was to legitimate clubs, and soon those shows were filling up. People wanted to see the all-girl punk band partying the oversaturated sea of dude rockers like badass Lady Moseses. Egg's words, not mine. <laughs> they started catching some celebrity attention, too. On one occasion, after sufficiently rocking a packed crowd, the band went backstage to find Kurt and Courtney waiting for them. <laughs> there are Polaroids of this in the box. My favorite features Egg wedged between them on a lumpy backstage couch, wide-eyed and grinning like her head's about to explode from happiness. So the band's success grew, as did the frequency of Egg's visits with death. Not long after the entry about Kurt and Courtney, I am surprised to see different handwriting in Egg's journal. I fear the worst immediately, but... The writer alleviates that worry early on, somewhat anyway. It's Stacy writing in, journal, in the journal at Egg's request. She says Egg is lying on the couch nearby. As Stacy tells it, she had received a call from Egg's roommates earlier that day. The roommates told her that they hadn't seen Egg leave her room in days and asked Stacy to come over. She did and found Egg had locked the door to her room. She knocked and Egg started screaming in terror. Without a key to unlock it, Stacy and the roommates broke the door down. They found Egg balled up in the far corner of the room, sobbing. It took some time to calm her down, to the point that they could ask her what had happened. Egg said she had wanted to leave the room, but she hadn't been able to. Death had been standing in front of the door, cursing Egg for celebrating her successes and forcing her to write more. After hearing this, Stacy asked Egg for the keys to Death's dimension. She was going to get rid of them for Egg's protection. Egg agreed hesitantly. A week later, Kurt Cobain took his own life. They were, there are warped patches on Egg's journal pages here, where the notebook lines and handwriting bleed. I run gentle fingers over these spots, wishing that Egg would somehow materialize through the dry paper. I want to console her and warn her of what's to come. Egg found spare keys to Death's dimension. She used them and confronted Death about Kurt's death. She, Egg claimed they argued for days. Egg asked Death what it would take for Death to leave Egg and those she loved alone. Sick of arguing, Death proposed a deal. If Egg could play a show worthy of Death's own halls, she would leave Egg in peace. Egg took the deal and almost immediately found a perfect opportunity. In May 1994... Just over a month after Cobain's death, producers were organizing a tribute show of local acts. Through some wheeling and dealing by Egg and a lot of fan support, Egg and the Dead Birds were booked on as an opening act. 
It was an outdoor show at Seattle Center. As Stacy writes in Egg's journal, massive thunderheads lubed to the west all day before the show, unmoving. She remembers Egg observed this as the clouds waiting for the right time to pounce. Sure enough, when Egg and the dead birds took the stage, they pounced. Rain trickled through the early portion of the show, nothing unusual for Seattle, but at the halfway point, a full-on thunderstorm de- descended upon them. Lightning cracked and the wind howled. The crowd began to panic, but Egg called out to them. She said, It's okay, everyone. Don't be afraid. She's just trying to scare us away. Let's show her that we're way fucking scarier. And as event step came on stage to show Egg and the girls to safety, Egg pushed them away and counted in, launching into, as Stacy puts it, the most bitchin' set of rock wizardry the band had ever conjured. Soon the energy of the band and the crowd matched that of the storm, and it no longer seemed so frightening. With Egg leading them, everyone lost themselves in the moment. During their last song, rather than strike the last note, Egg transitioned into an improvised guitar solo. Stacy and Stella followed her lead and watched as Egg channeled the electricity in the air through her body and into her guitar, playing on a level neither had ever seen of her. It was, Stacy writes, as if she had reached, well, let's just say Kurt would have been proud. But the electricity soon became more than metaphorical. Puddles had accumulated on stage, Egg had been kicking the water around for effect, and at some point Egg's distressed guitar cable shed some of its insulation, exposing the wire beneath. Feeling victorious, Egg leapt into the air, struck a final triumphant chord, and splashed down into a puddle. Her body immediately stiffened. As Stacy was realizing something was wrong, a deafening crack of thunder sounded from the sky above. The whole crowd flinched at once. A bolt of lightning followed. I find a letter from Stacy written to my grandfather long after this happened. In it, she or Stacy, who had continued to play music, claims she hadn't seen anything like it before or since. It was such blatant overkill, she writes, frying egg like that. An overreaction <laughs> by a jilted goddess. Mr. Finch, you may think me crazy for saying it, but I believe Egg was right about the whole thing the deal with death. I can't see any other reason for it. I also believe she won that deal. I believe it too. Since May 1994, Stacy, Stella, and others close to Egg have seen happy lives and successful careers both in and out of music. It seems death kept up that part of the bargain. But Agnes Edwina was a finch. So am I. And so are you, little bean inside me. While, hope mad- while I hope matters never come near to what your Auntie Egg went through, I want you to know that I will always make the choice to protect you. I just can't promise it will be as rock and roll. <laughs> the oh. end. Yes. Nice. Boy, oh boy. Dear listeners, that was two stories in a row, written by two different people, loosely about the same video game. That's how this show works. <laughs> I'm glad we get these recaps yeah. every once in a while, because I forget. Just reminding this you all what just happened. a minute. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, just to kick off the discussion, Marcus, going back to your story about Millicent, can yeah. you tell me uh, what that process was like? 
challenges, yeah. victories, etc. It was an interesting little challenge. Uh, I thought about doing a few different things. I thought about doing something where this would be Edith in her perspective and she's exploring the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought about so I thought about doing a whole thing similar to that, which would probably look a little bit more like the way Andrew approached it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I thought about bookending with that, so having a story very much like what I ultimately wrote, but you'd have Edith walk into it, and then you'd have her walk out of it um, at the end. And then I ultimately decided just to focus on the perspective of the room of that character, Millicent. And that was a challenge in and of itself because I really latched on to what you had described and the way these rooms worked so that you're seeing something where you don't actually hear in black and white what the cause of death was, but Mm -hmm. you get enough hints to the reality that you can piece it together. And so a child seemed like a good... uh, character for that because they could be oblivious to what the situation actually was sure so, yeah so that was that was a challenge uh, and i have a lot of information about this story that i didn't end up including because ultimately six or seven year old millie would not have cared so sure. <laughs> gotcha yeah interesting how do you feel about the story i thought uh there, there are lots of things i like about it it's uh it's fun. That I don't know that everything hit the way that I wanted it to, but I, I enjoyed this prompt. I really liked being able to create this type of story. Cool. Uh, same question to Andrew Neal. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I will second what Marcus just said. This this sort of prompt is always so fun because you can just kind of do whatever you want, um, you know, given that it's just this, you know, tragic family history. So it just has to come from someone who's mm-hmm. dealing yeah. with that. It's like an um, album of inspired buys. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed doing this uh, a lot um, and decided to go the route of trying to uh, kind of paint the picture of someone's, you know, I wouldn't say whole life because we don't really get much of her childhood, but like, you know, a very active part of someone's life and trying to take us through that whole period and what that was like and paint a picture of all of that. Um um, so, but the challenge I had, uh, I think, uh, was I kind of, before I started writing, I was thinking about similarly with what Marcus was saying, like, what was this perspective going to be? And originally my idea was that I was going to integrate this, uh, the, uh, either this unborn child a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually just did it at the end. Um, but it was something that I kind of had to feel out throughout it, but I just, I liked the idea so much of going through somebody's room and like piecing together the story that I wanted to include those elements into this. So I, I add those little details about how she's pulling some of this information from these various locations. And I just like that idea a lot. So, um, I tried to stick with it as much as possible. Um, and yeah, and finding a balance with it too, where it was like, we need to, you know, focus on the story, focus on, you know, being an egg's perspective, but, still peppering in uh, Edith's reactions to it throughout. Cool. Mm -hmm. Very well done. Question. Do you both have your word count? Uh, I do. I don't even have to recount. I don't even have to. Andrew. Uh, So, 
It was even longer than this. Oh. It was it was it was about twenty two hundred oh, words. Wow. And then I did a pass cutting through it, uh-huh. and it was still long. It still is long, but I stopped. I didn't do anything else because after that one pass, the word count was nineteen hundred. And ninety four. Yep. You <laughs> and I keep was like, that. I'm not cutting another word. Uh-huh. This is a sign. It's too perfect. Done. Too perfect. I'm glad I asked. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long do you think it took you to write it? I want to know if this was a struggle. Did no, this was easy? not a struggle. Cool. No, no. I not like last week with or last time with Celeste, mm-hmm. um, which took forever. This this didn't take near as long. Fantastic, Marcus. Fourteen seventy nine. Fourteen seventy nine. Nailed it. Yes. The year <laughs> that something happened, certainly. <laughs> not a lot, though. Not a lot happened back then. <laughs> yep. Um, and about how long did it take you to write this, Marcus? Uh, this one flowed pretty quickly as well. You know, once I had the, the concept, the, the sure. bones of it came together. So only a cool. couple hours, I'd say. Well, without further ado, I think it's about time for me to pass judgment Ooh. on everything that has happened here today. Like death Wins herself. Who loses? Oh wait. So. Princess Peach, what'd you get here? <laughs> so, what remains of you at the Finch? Yeah. The winners, or the winner of this game, or this prompt? I, think I don't you know. Kind of, I think you kind of just kind of showed your hand there a little the shark bit. A yep. little bit. Yep. I'm gonna just name the people that made this yep, there video you go. game. <laughs> How about you do that? Uh, it's the Giant Sparrow was the developer. There we go. Published by Annapurna Interactive. It was directed by Ian Dallas. Uh, written by Ian Dallas. Good job, Ian. Well done. That's a twofer. Well done, mate. Uh, and lots of other good people who worked on this. But for the two of you with your shams, I have to choose a winner. Uh, I mean, Andrew had the, uh, he had the lightning bolt. But, uh, Marcus had the fire flower. So, I mean, you you put those head to head. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to give it to Mario, player one. Marcus Mann is the winner of this matchup. That's good. And the reason for that is because I felt it was more of a um, a pure story that you might find in this game. Choosing to... Uh, write the whole story from Millicent's perspective is it just exactly the sort of thing that you see Mm -hmm. in this game where when you go into the room and you start exploring you are no longer Edith you are in that story Mm -hmm. and Andrew's story although great and also has a grisly death that is amazing (laughs) um, it it, it had that layer of separation you were hearing the story through another person interacting with the story and it, it was that it was that penetration that I mm. lost from being seeing the world from your character's point of view yeah. and that's what pushed it over the edge for me so congratulations Marcus thank you really really spot on for tone for this piece and and the way that death happened where it wasn't laid out in explicit terms, where it was Millicent, you know, assuming that she had you know, gone to the, if st- she was she was meeting her friends in the stars as her room was obviously <laughs> burning around her. Yeah. Um, very tragic child death. <laughs> it just tickles me. Uh, so very, very well done. <laughs> 
choice of words there. All child, right. child death tickles me. Nope, At the end, there was nothing left but gravel. Uh, <laughs> oh, gravel man. Gravel man's voice changed a little bit there. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> I've got yeah, a let's cold. just hope no one takes a takes a selective uh, this audio when you, you run your future political campaign uh-huh. and. and we got recorded audio of you saying that you're tickled by child death. Um, but, uh, yeah, bravo. Bravo, Mr. Man. Thank you. I, uh, of course, concede to Eric's opinion, and uh, I uh, I actually uh, share it. I, I really, really enjoyed your your piece immensely. I thought it's, it's, it's good to know that it uh, shared a lot in tone with the game because it just shared this kind of, like, darkly humorous sweetness. Mm-hmm. Throughout that, I just like that sort of thing just gets me. I, I I I really really dug it. Yeah, you know what I liked about yours, Andrew. What's that? Is that death was a character mm. in this mm-hmm. that you like created this personification, which is was unexpected and a little confusing at first. Mm-hmm. But then I got used to it. I'm just like death is just a character here. It's somebody mm-hmm. that perhaps it's it's a person that only she can see. Perhaps it's it's um, it's Agnes's psychosis or something. I'm not exactly yeah. sure. How did you see that character when you were writing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it as a character that she was seeing. You know, we don't really see anybody else interact with it. And, you know, you have Stacy recognizing it at the end. Mm-hmm. But she's recognizing it as something that, you know, she knew Egg experienced, but not really knowing much about it. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. I, and I could see that sort of thing in this game does not happen explicitly like that but the fact like you have this character who is like propelled to greatness um in fame you know even slight fame mm-hmm. um pursuing something she loved and getting killed in the act of that of that mm-hmm. thing that she loved is very very apt um there's a character in edith finch you know who's like a a, a child movie star yeah you, know, you told me about that person and in that, my uh, q a reminded me of that so, okay. Cool. That was great. Was yeah, fun. I was I was very intrigued by that. I, I kept wondering what that was going to be revealed to be, uh, whether this mm-hmm. was you know some sort of schizophrenia or like an obsessive compulsive disorder, or I, I kept thinking early on that it was maybe like acid or some other drug usage that mm-hmm. was pulling her away, like that was flirting with death, um, and that would tie into the, the keys to the realm of death was like getting a new stash. And I, so I, I was trying to figure out where the, the line was between uh, imagination and metaphor in that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I, I guess as I, it's funny that you both say that because as I was writing it, I thought like I didn't, it, it's no, there's no problem it not being clear. In fact, it's, I think it's, it's I'm very pleased that it's not as yeah. clear <laughs> to be honest, because I honestly thought I was like, this is so clear as I was writing it. I, I thought it was a little too clear. So I'm glad that it's not to, to the two of you. I'm glad to hear that. I, I loved it. Like I, I loved your story. Uh, Good. Thank you. I thought you had just the right amount of detail to really make it feel like it was an actual examination of a person who had lived. And it still had that sort of fantasy element that we have in the, the series on unfortunate events that happens to the Finch family. But mm-hmm. it just it felt like a great retrospective on a life. Uh, it gave me shades of your Leviathan Wake story. I thought that mm, was... Yeah, that kind of... Well, that, oh, that yeah. one of your stronger 10, pieces. 10,000 foot out yeah. kind of overview format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Cool. 
Yeah. Totally. Well, I mean, it. yours definitely had those elements too, Marcus. I mean, you, you again, like both of our stories are covering a specific period in someone's life, but they're still covering a longer period. It's not just a moment. Um, and I definitely, you get an overview in your story of, because like Eric said, it's, you know, a firmly planted perspective with Millicent, um, you get her worldview, you know, I mean, she's six years old, but you get her, her worldview in that. Um, and you get that over time, you understand that. Um, and, you know, as I think we've discussed, telling stories that take place over a long period of time is difficult. They're difficult to pace. Yeah. Um, I, we often find them more challenging than writing something that is within a very like kind of real time, mm-hmm. uh, placement. And yeah, I, I just, I, I thought yours really, uh, achieved that element well. Um, Thank you. yeah, no, I, I, I just, I really, I love it when, when one of us attempts a story like that. Because I, you know, knowing how challenging it is, um, it's just it's great when someone really pulls it off, which you did. Thanks. Yeah, it was a fun one. It was it was funny uh, when I was writing this. My girlfriend asked what I was writing, and I said, "Oh, it's a story about a six-year-old who has polio and dies in a fire." <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, cool." And I said, "Yeah, but it's a lot of fun. It's cute." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. I'm really glad that you said that. Well, when you summarize it like that, <laughs> yeah, I, I liked. I, so I liked the element where you um, you switched us out. So you know, I'm going through this story assuming that at some point, little Millie is just going to die of degenerative polio. disease. She's just going she's to like just, kind of yeah. go into the stars. You know, she's yeah. just eventually going to kind of go away. Putter so out. when you added that detail about the light through the telescope and the papers yeah. below it, I was like, oh, she's going to die in a fire. <laughs> she's going to burn to death. I, was like, ah. <laughs> yeah. That was such a great detail. And like you said, firmly planted her perspective. Like she, we understand why she did that. And it's this great dramatic mm-hmm. irony that is throughout your entire piece. It's and, great. And imagine uh, her her brother Harold, the guilt that he will carry the rest <laughs> of his life. Yeah. Knowing, I, I hope he, he knows, that the telescope started the fire. Yeah. And he's going to have to live with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, really, it's a, it's a real upper. It's a feel-good story. Uh, you know what I liked too that this story the Millicent story at first I was thinking it was going to be um, very very similar to a character from the game oh. named Calvin Calvin is the kid who went over who swung oh, right. 360 yep. around the around the swing he was obsessed with space and um, and like you know he was he died in like 1960 something so like very space race where yeah. his room was decorated with astronauts and rocket ships and stuff and i'm just like oh here's another character who's like obsessed with space like i was thinking is she gonna like launch herself in a rocket or something or you know some mm-hmm. death like that and uh, you surprised me by going a different route with it but that's the first thing i thought I was like oh it's like kelvin oh that's cool yeah did not die in a fire. Did not die in a fire. Okay. Yep. Nope. Swung, swung himself out into the Tra- water. Tragically, <laughs> did not die in a fire. That would have tickled me. Bummer. Oh man. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, Marcus, um, did you go through any other um, ideas in terms of like time period, or did this idea kind of set in pretty quickly? Yeah, I I wanted to do something older. 
uh, I I kind of worked backwards from the concept of the stars and the fire to try to figure out where everything else should fit in, who the character was. Because okay. I knew that this had to be structured around an event that we would misinterpret from the unreliable narrator perspective, but the mm-hmm. audience would be able to understand. Yeah. So okay. that's, you know, that's always tricky in, in assignments like this, because you don't have much space and you've got to lay out the framework for a little bit of a twist or a surprise or a new perspective in the end. And uh, so, yeah, I settled on this pretty quickly. Uh, the the burning in the fire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was a fun element. Um, uh, just you know, again, like well, again, this assignment, you just you can kind of pick you, as you kind of set it up. It's like these deaths in this in the game happen in these various decades, so they kind of reflect that time. And mm-hmm. it was it was fun like to come up with the idea of that, and um, you know, just the thought process of. Uh, you know, it takes place in the mid or the the upper or the the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I was like immediately the first thing that I think about with that is grunge. Yeah. No. And <laughs> so, the images of yeah. like the posters in the bedrooms, like mm-hmm. that's perfect. Yeah. For a, for a character of that time and place, Loved it's it. just perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I just I had just finished. You know, I just been up to visit Marcus recently, first time in, in Seattle. Seattle. So I was thinking about like you know from you know being there, and then also I recently watched the Cameron Crowe film Singles, ah. which is uh, from 1992 or 3, um, and it's it was made at peak grunge. And it's just, everybody is grunged terrible. out. and just it's terrible. It's, it's pretty great. It's such <laughs> a great time capsule of that time. Uh, nice. You have artists from those from the scene in the mm-hmm. movie and it's it's really fun but yeah so that all that just kind of was cooking in my brain for this one um but i just enjoyed kind of coming up with that uh, and it was great mm, thank i you. enjoyed it immensely uh but i think it's about time to say adieu oh adieu. so if you two have anything else to say now's the time um well i have a couple of things to say yes oh, first off again marcus beautiful story i can't wait to listen to this one again um because there are a lot of fun details fun perspective elements in there i i really want to hear that again um the other thing i want to bring up because when you described this game's makers just a few minutes ago um i realized there was a question that i brought up in the first portion of the show Uh because you mentioned that this game is made by a company or published by a company called annapurna interactive yes which Indeed is the same company that is Annapurna Pictures. The that restaurant makes... in Seattle, nope. yeah. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> oh. It is the film production company that has made many good films, including yep. a lot of the recent Catherine Bigelow joints. Yeah. Um, it's a subsidiary of Annapurna Pictures, LLC. It, Thanks, it Internet. Indeed. Ugh. Uh, yes. So. That's pretty cool. There you go. I just wanted to alleviate everyone's concerns in listening land. Yeah, Zero Dark Thirty. Ugh. Yeah, there's some great movies. Wow. Her. Great. Ugh. Yeah. American Hustle. My goodness. Yeah, check them out. The Last anyway. Airbender. Um. Nope. Classics. Nope. Just nope. Good, good <laughs> films. That's not. I'm trying to give them an endorsement, Marcus. <laughs> anyway, they that, those are my thoughts. That. Okay, fantastic. My thoughts. Now, shut up, Marcus. Anything? Uh, you know more finches would be alive today if they had known 
that they could not beat the dredge because they're pure energy. Oh boy! <laughs> and I'll I just you hope you one. listeners <laughs> bear that in yep. mind. All right, fantastic. So, thanks for listening, everybody. That's another episode of Shamviction on the books. On them, they're done. And close the book. One and more just send indie it on game it. left. And just one more indie game. Two weeks from today. Wonder what it's gonna be. Oh boy, I bet you we'll find out very soon. And uh, that's it. That's it. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, bye, everybody. Thank you very much. Bye. Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. great outdoors. Love them, those outdoors. One might even say, I know everything there is to know about them. You might even say that I, Andrew Neal, favorite sham host, have mastered them in totality. Need to build a campfire? (laughs) I'm your man. Not sure which berries are edible and, like, which are poison? Gotcha covered. I know these outdoors, but you know who I could get to know a little better? Myself. That's why next time on Sham Fiction, I'm going deep into the heart of Shoshone National Forest. That's in Wyoming for you less outdoors inclined. And I'm taking up residence in a remote lookout tower for the rest of the summer. Gonna be watching for some fires, like in that amazing indie game I recently played, Firewatch. Will I spot some fires? Perhaps. Will I learn hidden truths about myself while in isolation? I can only hope. Am I conflating playing a video game with actual experience? (laughs) Well, you be the judge. Next time on Sham Fiction. This has been a Two Jackets production.